0: Well it is good to be with you. Uh, My apologies to Brother Chris. Uh, I feel like one of the bad church members. (laughs) It is a delight to be back with you. It's been a while since Michelle and I have been able to be with you. Uh, I've been out uh, and busy on the Lord's Day uh, ministering in some other churches, but it is good to be with you this Lord's Day. Let me invite your attention this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Before we read, let's pray. Father, for the presence of your Spirit and the singing of songs, the confessing of sin, and Father, the warmth of praying for one another, we give you thanks. And now we especially ask, For the illuminating work of Your Spirit to open our minds to Your truth. To prepare our hearts to desire this truth. And Father, to apply this truth to our hands. That we might go into this world with the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A people transformed by Your grace. In Christ we do pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yeodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women What have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The Beginning of World War II he stood before his people and then before his own house and he says, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat. Of course, I'm referring to Winston Churchill, who went on to say, we have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggling and of suffering. And he continued in that manner for a while and concluded with this, you ask, what is our aim? And I can answer in one word, victory. Victory at all cost. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and however hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. That could be why a mere 18 months later, when standing before the alma mater of his youth, he spoke some other words that many of us have heard across the years It must have been somewhat surprising to the students of that day when it may have been the shortest speech he ever delivered. When he immediately mounted the podium and glared at the audience and simply said, Never, ever, 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 ever ever give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And he was seated. Well, in some ways, the Apostle Paul has brought us to the heights of the heavenlies at the conclusion of chapter 3 as he talks about our heavenly citizenship. Now, my last checking, we aren't there yet. We're living between the times, the that of Calvary and Easter. Meanwhile, between the time of Calvary and the second coming. The Apostle Paul is desiring to remind us of the dangers that are ever present before us. Even as he warned us in chapter 3 that there are enemies of the cross, people who at least once identified with the church but now they have become people uh, uh, enemies of the cross and so the apostle is uh, providing us a, a form of warning as it were when in chapter 4 verse 1 he reminds us to stand firm in the lord and with that phrase he's pointing us forward and he he reminds us to stand firm in ways that he's going to prescribe throughout the entirety of chapter 4, and he wants to remind us that we are never to give up the Christian walk. Indeed, many of the injunctions in this chapter are calculated clearly to foster that of perseverance. There is doctrinal content. There are simple orders that are designed to elicit some form of Christian behavior, but over and above all, their attitudinal commands. And these commands are aimed at fostering a whole life sense, a long lasting commitment to the one true God. We might state it like this What kind of exhortations will best help Christians? What kind of exhortation will best help you persevere in the way of Christ? Should we encourage one another to recite the creeds and read our Bibles? Certainly we should. We hear that time and again after, as we come to church. We also acknowledge that one could read the Bible coldly or merely as an object of academic pursuit, so that that alone is not enough. Should we then foster obedience to specific commandments? And again, yes, we all need encouragement along those lines. But again, we recognize immediately that some obedience is merely formal. And some even lapse into pathetic brand of legalism. But the apostle, much wiser, with the inspiration of God's spirit, chooses to emphasize, in this closing chapter, things like integrity in relationships, fidelity or faithfulness toward God, a quiet confidence in him. Last week you considered that of kingdom generosity. How we're to develop our lives in that of being generous with the blessings which God has given us. He concludes this section this morning with purity and wholesomeness in thought in every area. Paul wants to foster endurance, perseverance, faithfulness before God. Before the God who has disclosed Himself uh, wonderfully and climactically in Jesus Christ, His Son. So in some ways, the burden of Philippians 4 then is this. Never, ever give up the Christian walk. Now, we could skim the surface of these nine verses this morning and give you a sense of what is taking place. But I thought it might be more valuable for us to try to understand these orders, these injunctions in a law gospel format. How do we hear them? When you heard them read, how did you receive them? Were they crushing indictments of the law? Or did you hear them rather as whisperings, drippings of God's grace? So I thought it might be helpful. I don't know about you, but I thought it might be helpful for us to consider verses 6 and 7 in particular. Where the Apostle says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, is is worry a problem with you? I imagine, I know I hear people from time to time, and they will tell me, oh, worry's not a problem, I don't worry about anything. And I recognize there are people who temperamentally, the way God has wired you, that you're not typically one who will worry much. But sometimes when people tell me that in a pious kind of way, I just want to scream, are you crazy? There's a lot of things out there in this world to worry about. I thought how ironic it was. Uh, I was awake a good portion of the evening last night worrying about the sermon. And I thought, this is crazy, Wayne. Practice what you're going to preach in the morning. And I had to remind myself again of these very same words and take them to heart. Now, there are a couple of resources noted in your sermon notes area. If you struggle with that of worry, I I highly commend the book by Ed Welch. Uh, Tremendous resource. If it's not a problem for you, it may be for your spouse, and they may have that. And it might be a good work you can work together with. Or if you wrestle with prayer, because we're going to talk about prayer as well then the book by Paul Miller is a tremendous resource on helping people come to understand their position in Christ as children of the Heavenly Father who can trust Him in these matters. The outline is very simple this morning, and it's really in threefold. We actually see this breaking out in two approaches. We'll see as we'll talk about our need, dealing with that of worry, And then we'll look at the promises of God as we follow this approach. And simply, we're going to talk about worry about nothing, pray about everything, and be thankful for anything. And some of us this morning really are prone to worry. And sometimes you feel awful about that and you wonder, how can I really be trusting Christ When I have this excessive sense of worry. Well, friend, you you really are in good company if that is something you struggle with. None less than the Archbishop of Dublin or former Archbishop of Dublin, R.C. Trench, tremendous preacher of the Gospel, had a strong, overly, Strong sense of worry. And his particular worry dealt with the fear of becoming paralyzed. He was almost morbidly fearful of becoming paralyzed one day. And so at a gathering, uh, a nice dinner one evening, he was heard muttering sadly to himself, it's happened, it's happened at last. Total insensibility of my right limb. And he simply kept muttering it again and again. And finally the lady sitting next to him says, Your grace. It may comfort you to learn that it is my leg you are pinching and not your own. (laughs) This could be helpful for some of us then. Because the Apostle Paul reminds us to worry about nothing. And you immediately say, can that really be done? Is this a possibility for us? Or is this yet one of those other high aims that you and I are just going to have to despair and wring our hands over because we can't reach it? Well, I think you'll find this morning a great hope from the Gospel. Perhaps in, in more than any other society since the beginning of time, our society demands us almost to worry. With the advent of the internet and satellites and the way that they can hear a few shots ring in some a small village in some out-of-the-way place and if there's nothing more important on primetime news, that will fill the slot and all of a sudden it seems like all of the world is in armament. We live in what we know as a global village. All the international pressures are upon us. We know of all the starvations and all the genocides. We know of all the economic disparities throughout the world. We know of all the troubles and problems that plague the world. And they begin to press in upon us. And as if international worries aren't enough, we have our own personal and cultural problems today. They're constantly polled, demographically changed, statistically analyzed and paraded before us 24-7 on the TV or the Internet. The report comes in, the economy changes and very few have permanent jobs and we feel that ours is slipping away and then we all know of people who do not have jobs at all. Need I even mention this morning, the regular daily parade of pressures. Car troubles. Conflict with colleagues at work. Impending exams or certifications. The expectations of family and friends that we constantly have to face. A degenerating family maybe whose health is subsiding. Possibly we're wrestling with an arid marriage. Maybe rebellious teenagers or. We're worried whether or not we should do public school, private school, or home school. We read this article and that article. And we read about the latest food with all the steroids and the antibiotics and all of those pressures and all the germs floating around in our world. And these pressures mount and they surround us and they bully us until even we who are Christians hear the injunction of this passage. And because we're supposed to, we smile piously in the pew and all the while we're saying there's no way. Can't be done. Pastor, you don't understand that just can't be done. There's one person who said we need to be reminded there may be Greater sins than worry, but certainly there is no more disabling sin. It is a pointless and foolish thing. It is a waste. Jesus Himself reminds us of who by worrying can add a single hour to His life. And we fritter away our precious Spiritual energy on nothing. Moreover, Paul would not have said to us, Do not be anxious about anything, if he didn't expect that we are, in fact, tempted to worry in ways that we should not. And that the end of verse 5, he would not have said the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near if he did not suspect that our worrying really is a failure to remember and to take to heart the great facts and the truths of our Christian faith. And so we must face the fact this morning, the worrying of ours, plain and simple, is unbelief. Still, you want to insist, but you don't understand. It just can't be done. I've tried. Well, part of the problem is that we hear this command not to worry, and we put on our best John Wayne cowboy approach, and we smile, and we grit our teeth, and we resolve I am not going to worry. And immediately, we begin to worry about worrying. Or as one preacher, worrying about preaching on worrying. And we wrestle with it and we either fall into that of pretending or performing. And in our pride, we think that we can do these things. And the truth is, we realize we can't and so... We don't want to look like a failure and we simply begin to perform and all the while pretending we've got this down pat. Or else we hear this demand from the lens of modern cognitive behavioral theories. It inundates our world. It's all over the television. It's the Dr. Phil's and the Dr. Laura's of our day. I don't know if you've seen the uh, YouTube um, video of a Saturday Night Live um, version Bob Newhart doing uh, a spoof on the cognitive behavioral theories. It, it is uh, worth watching to laugh. Dr. Switzer, Bob Newhart. In comes a young lady into his office and she has a problem. I'm going to give it all away. I'll just set it up for you. She comes in and she notices the couch and... He assures her they don't do that anymore. Just sit down in the chair and make yourself comfortable. He said, now, let me tell you a little bit about our billing. It's $5 for the first five minutes. And I can assure you, we'll be done in five minutes. And so he says, go. And she begins to tell about her problem. And as she begins telling about her problem, he asks a clarifying question And she confirms his clarifying question, and then he says, "Okay." He says, "I think I've got this down." He said, "Are you ready? Let me tell you what to do about this." And so she said, "Well, should I take notes?" He said, "Well, if you want to, you can." He said, "But it's only two words. Are you ready?" She's got her pen out, beautifully to take notes just on two words. And he leans across his desk and he says, Stop it! She kind of backs up. She says, Stop it. What do you mean? Stop it! She says, but, but yeah, but, but you, you don't understand. Ever since I was a child and my parents, no, 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 we, we don't go there. But you, you don't understand. I just can't. No, no. We really don't go there. And he concludes with this hilarious approach. Stop it. Some of you are in danger this morning of hearing this. Do not worry about anything. And you are hearing those words of our day. Stop it. But if you receive it that way, you receive it as mere law, and it will crush your spirit. And you'll end up despairing. And some will become enemies of the cross because you realize, maybe there's no hope for me because I just don't get it. And all the while, what we do is overlook what Scripture tells us in how to overcome our anxieties. Look back with me at verse 6. Do not be anxious About anything. Now friend, that is not a naked prohibition. That doesn't stand alone. Because Paul offers the alternative immediately. Look at the alternative to worrying. but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Did you hear the antidote to worry? Is that of prayer? And it's in prayer that our anxiety is resolved by a heartfelt trust in God. Prayer takes up that anxiety-provoked question of how and it answers it by pointing us to God's resources and His promise. So we aren't experiencing pride and pretending our performing. We aren't crushed in despairing. But rather we find a certain confident hope in trusting the God who is able. And so the Apostle Paul says, Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. There may be no better definition of what real prayer is than that of our own shorter catechism when it says prayer is the offering up of our desires unto God. Our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with thanksgiving of His mercies and confession of our Sin In other words, have you gone to God, your heavenly Father? And you remember what Jesus says about that in the Gospels? When he reminds us that even we who are good and who desire to give good things to our children, and you who are dads or you who are moms, will understand this, you want to do the best for your children. And he says, you who are evil want to do the best. How much more will your heavenly Father, who is good, how much more will he do for you? And so the Apostle Paul uses several words to flesh out what he means by prayer. And that first word is simply the word we translate as prayer. It's a general term. And it simply communicates that of addressing a request to God. And he simply reminds us that in a time of anxiety, it's easiest to retreat into a corner complaining to ourselves, working over our fears what could or could not happen. But rather than do that, we should bring the matter to God where we will find release. And then He says, petition or your supplication. And that reminds you that you are the child. He is the Father who loves you and longs for what is best in your life. And then He says, let your request be made known to God. That's in response to Jesus' question. What do you want me to do for you? So you envision in your mind coming to the Lord in prayer and you hear the Lord of heaven and earth. You say, what do you want me to do for you in this situation? And you unfold it and you lay it out before Him. But let's not overlook one small word which is central to this In verse 6, in everything. In other words, don't worry. Pray about everything. Cast all your anxieties on Him. If anything is big enough to be a worry to you, whether it is large or small in the eyes of other people, it is enough for you to take it back to God in prayer. The devil has been very subtle in this respect. Our enemy suggests to us that you know God does not care about the small details of our lives. After all, He's such a great God and He has the worry, as it were, of running this world. How could you bring your little trifles into His presence? And then the enemy will even suggest to you that because you want to do that, that somehow you are an immature Christian. One Puritan had several thoughts. Now, I think it bears our attention in this regard. This Puritan goes on to say, life is made up of little things, trials or tribulations of all sorts and sizes, and to cut God out of them is to cut God out of the greater part of our lives. Which is what many of us are doing. He goes on to say, many small worries added together can become overwhelming. So each one of those small worries has significance. And if only one of them is sufficient to disrupt our peace and fellowship with God, then it is important enough for us to be concerned about it. A third truth is that God states plainly that He is concerned with small things. Again, Jesus said, not a sparrow falls to the ground that um, our Father doesn't know about. He reminds us that the very hairs of our head are all numbered. He told us to pray for daily bread. And even on the cross, when He was paying the debt for our sin. Ransoming us from judgment. Even there He was concerned about the loneliness and the care of His earthly mother. Is, is, is God concerned with little things like loneliness? For now was the Son of God. And, and to say that God is not interested in little things is to reject God's Word and example. It's a false spirituality. That's why Jesus said, I can do nothing, absolutely nothing without my Father. So don't let us be more spiritual than even Christ. Let me give you a final thought, this old Puritan said, it's in your quote, prayer is the way to turn our anxieties into the means of grace. Do you understand how that works? The worries themselves carry us right back to God. And they become the words of our prayers. So that every anxiety then is a personal invitation from God to come before Him in prayer. It's an invitation of God to call us back into His presence and to talk to Him about this concern. I love what Hosea says in his prophecy when he writes these words in chapter 2, the valley of trouble the Lord will make for you a door of hope. God says, I will make your valley of trouble a door of hope. What is troubling you today? That's how... God is inviting you into His presence to bring your concerns, to lay them before Him. And He will speak into your heart peace that passes all understanding. Paul says, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Be thankful for anything. Read the Chapter 15, the last couple of verses of that chapter. And the Apostle Paul in there lives this out. He has three specific prayer requests. And they're answered in ways he could not have imagined them to be answered. And yet Paul knew that these were being answered for the glory of God. So this morning, if you're willing to take up your worries and hear them, as a promise of God, as His gospel, and you take to heart, worry about nothing, pray about everything, be thankful for anything the Lord does in your life, can you expect the touch of God? Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, if this is part of your life, if this becomes the pattern of your life, then your lives will be touched with a mark of the supernatural. Something that, that passes our understanding. It, it, it doesn't mean so much that it's some kind of in- comprehensible mystery as it's merely something that man cannot explain nor can he explain away. It's something that runs beyond the range of our human comprehension. It's it's a touch of the supernatural and about the best that we can do is to say that person has the finger of God on their life. God has touched your life. The second aspect of that promise that Paul reminds us of is that God's peace will guard us and God Himself will be our companion. Look at verse 7. The peace of God will guard your hearts. Now look at verse 9 at the conclusion. And the God of peace will be with you. It's a picture of a castle besieged. It's the castle of the mind of us. And if the castle can be held, then progress in sanctification, progress in growth in Christ, progress in moving forward, in renewal in our lives will occur. And what God has promised you is when you practice worrying about nothing but taking it to the Lord in prayer, He touches your life and His peace Guard your mind from the enemy and the God of peace will be with you. Now, don't read that today in the spiritual marshmallow sense that this world talks about peace. No, the biblical understanding of peace has a strength that has backbone to it, especially when it's coupled with God Himself. After all, it is the God of peace who makes peace between Himself and sinners. He has done away with our sins. We were alienated to Him and now He has reconciled us to Himself. After His resurrection, do you know the first words He spoke? The fruit of Calvary. To those disciples when He first saw them, peace be with you. And this God of peace... Not a pushover. He is a God of power. For it is the God of peace who brought again the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And we read in Romans 16 that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This God of peace, friend, is the God of power. And so the Apostle Paul concludes this section. Look at verse 20. It's not in our text. But notice how he concludes it because he reminds us again not to take up the law. Don't hear these as commands that you cannot meet. Hear them as commands that Christ has met for you and receive them as gospel looking back to Christ. And he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. You could hear it this morning and you could say, I'm not going to worry anymore and be proud in that. But what the Apostle wants us to hear is that in and of ourselves we cannot do this. But if we'll go back to the Father, He will provide us the strength, the peace, the power that we need. And He will touch our lives. So we resolve then To follow these virtues, not only because they're good, not only because God demands them, but because of what God demands, He gives the grace to meet that demand. And we hear them as words of hope this morning. And as he concludes the entire book, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we thank You that these words that You demand from us are words that You provide for us. And that as we look to You, because in our own strength we are unable, but as we look to You, we find the strength and the grace to do what You've called us to do. May Your grace be with us. In Christ we pray.